this way, Mr. Schlesinger. Uh, thank you. It always seems to happen on a Sunday, doesn't it? Oh, boy, I tell you, it really hurts. Dr. Kiefer will be with you in a minute. Dr. Kiefer? What happened to Dr. Burmar? Oh, he's out of town. He's breaking in a new partner, his son-in-law. Doesn't hurt that much. You won't find another dentist on a Sunday. Yeah, I guess you're right. You, you sure you know, you know he knows what he's doing? Dr. Kiefer just graduated from dental school. As a matter of fact, you're his very first patient, so he may be a little nervous. You won't be the only one. Okay. Oh, doctor, please, please get this, get this tooth out of my mouth right. now. Well, let's see now, if we're going to pull her out, we'll have to have those pulley things. The pulleys and, let's see, pinchy things and the little picky things. There. Pinchy, picky, pulley. Let's see, I'll get my manual just a minute on that. All right, here. Okay, now, let's see, you want to pull your tooth out. Uh, P, 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 U, P, U, L. U-L-L. Pull tooth. T. T. T-O-T-O-T-H. Here we are. Pull your tooth out. Boy, this is gonna hurt. Doctor, if it's gonna hurt, please give me something to kill the pain. Yeah. Okay, well, got some Novocaine right here. Just, uh, hold on that, man. Let's see how this works here. Okay, Novocaine. Here we are, Novocaine. Take a firm hold of the hypodermic needle. Right. Ah. Ah. There'll be a little bit of pain, and then numbness will set in. everybody good to laugh a little bit isn't it my goodness uh my favorite part of that skit from the old carol burnett show is watching harvey corman try not to crack up at uh tim conway as he's doing sort of his inept dentist routine i i actually think that clip is a pretty good bridge between what we were talking about last week and what we want to talk about this week as we continue our message series jesus didn't say that the phrase we looked at last week that Jesus did not say was this idea that Jesus is okay with whatever you want to do. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus did not say you can go your own way. That was Fleetwood Mac. Here's what Jesus did say. It's from our Bible reading, John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
And notice Jesus doesn't say, I know the way, or I can point you in the right direction. I can teach you the way. Jesus says, I am the way. It's a pretty exclusive claim for someone to say, I am the way. It's what Jesus says, and he gets a little more exclusive as you keep reading. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me, Jesus says. Now, last week we looked at the idea and we talked a little bit about the idea we're kind of uh, a morally and culturally relativistic society. And in an increasingly pluralistic world, uh, we, we get pretty uncomfortable with exclusive claims. And so when we start talking about faith, we start talking about religion, what, what it is that we believe. Uh, the kind of the mantra of our current world is you can believe whatever you want to believe and I'll believe what I want to believe. Just don't force your beliefs on me. A lot of people say, don't all religions really worship the same God? And, and some people will say, you know, I'm not even a big fan of, of religion. There's been a lot of harm that's happened in the world in the name of religion uh, throughout history. So I'm not religious, I'm spiritual, people will say. And don't all spiritual roads lead to heaven? Well, Jesus never said that. Jesus never said, I'm just one of many spiritual options. I think all of us, if we went to a, a doctor, if we went to a dentist and we were told we are their very first patient, we'd be a little nervous about that. And then if the doctor went and got out the manual to say, oh, now let's see, how do we actually uh, do this thing? How do we do this procedure? We'd be a little nervous. Thankfully, that's not what actually happens when you go to the doctor. I'm old enough to remember when people trusted their healthcare professionals. Uh, you, you would go to your uh, friendly family physician. Uh, I'd go to my friendly family physician and she would say, Scott, it looks like your cholesterol levels are a little too high. We're going to have to cut out on some of the snacks and, and some of the sweets. And I would believe her. I would believe her because she's an expert in the field. And, and maybe you go to a traditional doctor, maybe you go to someone who has a more holistic approach, or, or maybe you simply go to someone who's an expert when it comes to diet or nutrition or exercise. But all of us, when it comes to our health, if, if we're sick, if we're not feeling well and we want to get healthier, we look to the, the opinions and the expertise of the trained professionals, doesn't matter how many articles on WebMD I might read, I'm still an amateur. Every single one of us, we have to decide, who am I going to trust with my health? Who am I going to trust with my life? Jesus is sometimes referred to as the great physician. Jesus has healing power. He heals people this side of heaven of illness and disease. Sometimes Jesus, even like with Lazarus, raises people from death to life. You, you notice one of the things we never really talk about when we talk about Lazarus, we never talk about the reality that he still died one day. Hopefully it was decades and decades later. Hopefully he lived to a ripe old age and was able to tell his great-great-grandchildren the story of that time when Jesus raised him from death to life. But still, at some point late in Lazarus's life, he died just like you and I will die one day. And the ultimate healing that Jesus, the great physician, offers to every single one of us is the gift, the healing of eternal life, everlasting life. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is what Jesus says. 
This is not me making an exclusive claim. This is Jesus making an exclusive claim. I'm simply saying I trust Jesus. I believe Jesus knows what he's talking about when it comes to salvation. I'm saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life, but let's be clear about what he means. Jesus does not mean, because I am the way and the truth and the life, you need to force other people to believe this. Jesus does not say to his followers, I want you to condemn people who do not believe what you believe. Instead, Jesus is very invitational. You read through the Gospels, and over and over and over again, this is what you see Jesus doing, just inviting people to follow him. Follow me, follow me, come and see, follow me. Very invitational. Now, of course, not everybody said yes to that invitation. A lot of people did not believe Jesus. A lot of people didn't think he had any authority on matters as it relates to eternity or or salvation. Some people believed in Jesus and followed him for a while and then decided not going to follow him anymore. And what was Jesus' response when this happened? It was not condemnation. It was not judgment. Probably the most familiar Bible verse is uh, John 3.16, where Jesus says, God loved the world so much, he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in Jesus, will not perish, but will have everlasting life. It's a powerful verse helping us understand something about God's love for the world. The next verse is not very well known, but it's equally powerful in teaching us something about God. God's love for the world. It's John 3, 17. It's on the screen. And let's read this out loud together. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. This is what God is up to every moment. God is saving the world through Jesus. And followers of Jesus, the church, sometimes we're called ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We are a city on a hill. We're the light of the world. We're to live our lives in such a way that the light of God's love shines out from us and helps guide other people, point other people to Jesus, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. We are sent into the world. Just as Jesus was sent into the world, now we've been sent into the world. And and sometimes the way Jesus talks about what does it mean to be sent in the world, he uses this phrase, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. Sunday nights at the Rains house is almost always popcorn for dinner night. I love popcorn with uh, butter and, and salt, and I'm sure my friendly family physician would say a little less butter and a little less salt would be a, a good idea for you, Scott, because too much salt is unhealthy. Too much salt can ruin the taste of popcorn, but a little bit of salt goes a long way. And in order for salt to actually make popcorn taste better, the salt has to touch the popcorn. Jesus says you're the salt of the earth. In order for us to be the salt of the earth, we have to touch the earth. We have to be in contact with people. Maybe particularly we have to be in contact with people who do not believe what we believe in order to be the salt of the earth. I was talking with someone from our church a a couple of weeks ago, and he was saying, Scott, uh, the company that I work for, they're doing uh, some diversity training, some cultural sensitivity training, and part of that is uh, every employee at this company has been invited to 
a Diwali celebration, and he was wondering, as a follower of Jesus Christ, is it okay for me to go to a Diwali celebration? So I needed to look up what Diwali was and do a little bit of research on this before uh, I could answer. So here's what I found out about Diwali. Take a look. There you go. Nice dress, Ryan. It's not a dress. It's a kurta. Okay. Tonight, one of our most ethnic co-workers, Kelly, has invited us all to a Diwali celebration put on by her community. What is Diwali, you may ask? That is essentially a Hindu Halloween. You look so handsome. You really do. I love the material. I know. How come you didn't get me one? Okay. This was a costume party. What does that look like to you? An Indian woman in a sari. No one's even going to notice. Festival of Lights. Let me tell you something. Tonight has been one crazy night. So put on your saris. It's time to celebrate Diwali. Everybody looks so jolly. But it's not Christmas, it's Diwali. The goddess of destruction, Kali, stop by to celebrate a Wali. Don't invite any zombies to a celebration of Diwali. Along came Polly to have some fun at Diwali. If you're Indian and you love to party, have a happy, 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 happy Diwali. And now you know why companies do diversity training and cultural sensitivity uh, seminars. I mean, in an an increasingly pluralistic society, uh, we're coming in contact with traditions and customs that are completely foreign to us uh, as Americans, and it's important for us to be respectful of all of those. And so I appreciated the question this guy in our church was asking. I think it's a question a lot of us ask. Like, what's okay and and what's appropriate for me as a Christian as it relates to other religions in the world? And so uh, what I ended up saying to this guy was, I absolutely think you should go. I think it would be good for you. I, I think Jesus would go. Jesus is God. God is love. And there is no fear in God's perfect love. So there's nothing to fear. Go and learn and be friendly, be uh, relational, be hospitable, uh, and see if it might uh, cause some opportunities for further conversations and, and connections. I wonder what you think of this phrase, all truth is God's truth. It's a phrase that's been a part of Christianity for uh, centuries. I think St. Augustine is the first one to be sort of attributed with saying all truth is God's truth. I don't know how that phrase hits you, but basically what it's saying If something in our world is true, and if there is a God, then anything that's true must have come from God. That's how it works. And and we see God's truth in all sorts of ways. Like, I play a bunch of clips from uh, secular movies or or TV shows that have 
truth in them. I think God's truth in them. And then it's up to us with our spiritual discernment to be able to make that connection and build that bridge between what's going on, you know, secular business practices or secular movies or secular songs. And how do we make a connection to the truth of God that's revealed in scripture? But all truth, if it's true, it's from God. And so if you actually do the research, and you heard Michael Scott say it at one point, Diwali, it's not uh, Hindu Halloween. Diwali is a festival of light. Diwali is a celebration of new beginnings. Uh, It's a, a, a a celebration of the triumph of good over evil, of light over darkness. Question, as as Christians, do we believe in the triumph of good over evil? Yes, absolutely we do. Do we believe in the triumph of light over darkness? Yes, yes we do. Do we believe in the triumph of the Ankeny Hawks over the Southeast Polk's Rams? Yes, yeah, we we do. Uh, Congratulations to uh, the Ankeny Hawks on their state championship. Anyway, I don't think that was biblical, but um, the idea is there are, yes, the religions of the world are absolutely different. We'll we'll talk about that a little bit more toward the end of the message. But there are similarities. There, there, is, uh, there are places where we can find common ground for conversations uh, about faith. And we see that happening in the Bible in Acts chapter 17. The Apostle Paul is on a missionary journey. He's going all over the Mediterranean Rim and teaching people about Jesus. And he's starting uh, churches In Acts chapter 17, he's with his ministry partner Silas, and they make their way to the city of Athens. If you think America today is this pluralistic, uh, relativistic kind of society, read about ancient Greece sometime. Then you'll, you'll really see it. I mean, as Paul is walking through the city, he sees shrine after shrine and uh, statue after statue, altar after altar, all the gods and all the goddesses that the people of uh, Athens are worshiping. And here's kind of what he makes of it. This is Acts 17, starting in verse 22. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown god. Most of the statues and shrines, they tell you, this is the name of that god, this is the name of that goddess. Of all of the hundreds of gods and goddesses they worship, they figure there might be a god that, or a goddess that we don't know about, and we don't want them to be mad at us, so we better do this one shrine to an unknown god. And Paul continues, this god whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. Now, notice Paul's approach here. He does not scold them for being idol worshipers, which is what they were. They were worshiping idols. And and Paul doesn't freak out and just kind of run out of Athens, waving his arms, saying, oh, they're worshiping false gods, they're worshiping false gods. Instead, he actually encourages them. Hey, I see you're religious in every way. I see that you care about spiritual matters. I, I see that faith is important to you. It is to me as well. And he finds this bridge-building opportunity for connection and conversation. He, he finds common ground, and they continue having these conversations. And, and to be fair, sometimes as Paul continues to have these conversations, people don't like it at all. Sometimes they laugh at him with contempt. But other people say we want to hear more, and other people believe in Jesus because of Paul's witness 
because he's being the salt of the earth. He is influencing people in the direction of faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm going to go to the next slide, and the people that you see on this slide, uh, David Brooks and his wife, Ann Snyder. David Brooks, you may recognize, uh, New York Times columnist, uh, makes a regular appearance on the PBS NewsHour, has written several best-selling books. And for most of his life, he's been a practicing Jew. Uh, Judaism is the faith of David Brooks, at least the faith that he grew up with. Uh, that started to change when he hired Ann Snyder as his research assistant. And so her job would be he'd send her the early drafts of his columns and she would edit them and, and give ideas. She'd give him ideas for uh, new stories that he could be thinking about or, or writing about. Ann Snyder's brilliant, uh, intelligent, and she's a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. And so as this Christian started hanging out with this public figure, this uh, uh, journalist who's kind of a, a leading voice, and a, th a thought leader in our culture, in our society, Ann Snyder's influence caused David Brooks to take a closer look at Jesus Christ. In 2015, he published a book called uh, The Road to Character, and if you read the acknowledgement page at the beginning of that book, here's what David Brooks has to say about Ann Snyder. She was there when this book was born and walked with me through the first three years of its writing. This was first conceived as a book about cognition and decision-making. Under Ann's influence, it became a book about morality and inner life. She led dozens of discussions about the material, assigned me reading from her own bank of knowledge, challenged the superficiality of my thinking in memo after memo, and transformed the project. I have certainly stolen many of her ideas and admired the gracious and morally rigorous way she lives her life. If there are any important points in this book, they probably came from Anne. A Christian who was working with someone who was not a Christian, and she was the salt of the earth. She influenced him in the direction of Jesus. Didn't force it, didn't condemn him if, she believe, if he believed something different than her. She was the salt of the earth. What does it look like for you with the people in your life, at, at the place where you work, at, at your school, what does it look like for you to be the salt of the earth and to influence people in the direction of Jesus? There are differences in the religions of the world. We're not all worshiping the same God. Not all paths lead to the same place. The key difference between Christianity and every other world religion is the concept of grace. A lot of religions spell, here's the path to heaven, you spell it D-O. Here's what I need to do. Here's all uh, the moral things that I need to do. Here's the penance that I need to pay in order to climb my way to where God is. Christianity is completely the opposite. Christianity teaches it's not what we do, it's what God has done for us. Instead of us climbing some ladder to get to where God is, God has come to us. And that's really, really good news for people who are scared of heights. Take a look. 